Welcome to the second day of our Global Supply Chain Week here at FreightWaves. Today is all about the retail supply chain, and we're starting big with a really exciting solution coming to the space of flexible warehousing. Today's keynote speech, we've got Sean Henry, the CEO and co-founder of Stored, our neighbor just down the road in Atlanta. Sean, thank you for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you here because this meeting with Stored and FreightWaves has been like months in the works. And having it happen during Global Supply Chain Week is just like the icing on the cake. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, Freight Waves has been a great uh, partner and outlet for us since the very start of Stored when we started out of Chattanooga as well. And so we, we've loved working with your team and are really excited to share more today. And so we're going to dig a little bit into your founder's story, the idea of starting a company from the ground up and now providing this solution that is really kind of universal to this middle space of warehousing and retail and combining the two together. And let's get into that a little bit, starting off with kind of the founding story of Stored. How, who are you guys? How are you founded? Yeah, so we started back in really late 2015, so just over six years ago now. And it really stemmed out of a long background in e-commerce logistics. And so I had started two different small e-commerce companies growing up. First one off of eBay and Amazon, the second one uh, just standalone automotive parts e-commerce business myself. And then I worked in an automotive supply chain at, a, at an enterprise while I was also studying operations and supply chain management at Georgia Tech. So I kind of had a full spectrum of what it's like to be a small merchant trying to get competitive delivery when you don't have a lot of volume and you're trying to get one or two day delivery and compete with all these other brands out there. Then at an enterprise where you're trying to optimize and you have this systems problem and this physical logistics problem. But then ultimately we, we looked at these two experiences and the backdrop was that today we all buy off of delivery speed. Mm -hmm. Whatever the product may be, even if we're on a large enterprise's website and it says two weeks delivery, even four or five days, we're going to go check Amazon and understand how fast we can get Always. it. And so when we're all trying to buy off of speed, what we were really realizing is that every brand out there today is trying to build and manage this complex network to do that themselves. And they may not even have the expertise to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly distracting to do it themselves from their own core product that they're trying to build and sell in the market. They probably don't have the volume to merit. Can I actually build this system like an Amazon who spends tens of billions of dollars a year in that fulfillment network? And so we took that trend and coupled it with what, what are the limitations and, and why can't somebody do this today? And the two most common we came to are the first one being Logistics is fragmented. It's all about assets and where they are and how they're moving inventory and trucks and warehouses and drivers can only be in certain markets. And so as a result, you have a very fragmented set of 3PL logistics companies. But on the other side, software is fundamentally sold separately from those logistics. So mm -hmm. you're going to go to a different company to buy your warehouse management system, your order management system, all the tech stack you need back into your ERP to actually orchestrate the complex logistics network. And then it becomes this complex, how do I pair these two together? All these fragmented logistics companies I'm using, all these siloed kind of vertical software systems. And so we said, what if we take a more full stack approach to a certain set of that movement, really being that port to porch? Mm -hmm. And we came to market with predominantly warehousing at first. We said, all of your supply chain move is based on where your inventory is relative to your end customers. And so you can really drive efficiency in the transportation and the parcel and all these spaces. But at the core, it's an inventory stocking problem. And so let's go build a network of facilities that you can flexibly stock inventory across. That's not our assets. It's using existing capacity, existing 3PLs and facility partners out there to solve that fragmentation issue since we can cover a larger network by not owning the assets ourselves. 
And then let's build the software you need to actually orchestrate those orders, orchestrate that inventory, seed down into the warehouse management system, better plan your demand and plan your inventory. So taking this full stack approach to domestic fulfillment and distribution that because we are the software and services in one, that brand has so much better visibility and their data mm -hmm. is intricately uh, and inextricably tied to their physical logistics so that when you see those opportunities to optimize and a good case of optimization is flexibility, quickly moving inventory. You can quickly react using our physical logistics network in the platform as well. So today's world of logistics, specifically in retail, is, as you mentioned, consumers are desperate for their goods, and they're desperate to get them as quickly as possible. If I go to Nike's website and it tells me five-day shipping plus $7.99, I'm going to go check somewhere else to see if I can get it free and get it faster, right? And all of this kind of really depends on the flexibility that a company employs, especially with new groups that are coming to market in a time like this where everything is so on demand, I want it now, I want it cheap. So talk to me a little bit about how software solutions like this, like Stored, can really build flexibility into a company's ethos and why building that as a core value is really important to success and setting your company up for the best shot that they have in a place that is fragmented when there's a lot of people trying to do the same thing. Exactly. So what we saw is the last two years is really what taught these brands flexibility, flexibility in their supply chain is the cornerstone of resiliency as a business. As companies either went out of stock and inventory on their shelves or tried to go across different e-commerce channels when their brick and mortar stores closed, a lot of the biggest limitation to those changes was can they actually flex and change their supply chain to deliver to those customers? And so if you think about it, it goes back to the fragmentation and the systems that cause the challenge with flexibility. So in the traditional 3PL warehousing industry, over half of all the contracts are multi-year volume-based agreements. Mm -hmm. So you're signing and committing to a building in your network in a certain volume for a certain amount of time. No matter what now. happens, right? Exactly. And a lot of brands don't have any idea. Am I going to need a warehouse in Los Angeles because of what's going on right now with, with COVID or with my customer demand because I launched a new SKU? Or do I actually need that there as a stocking point for, for years to come? And so that's part of the challenge. But part of the challenge goes back to that fragmentation. There's tens of thousands of 3PLs across the globe and in the, in the U.S. alone. And so you're going to go run a multi-month sourcing process for a local warehouse if you, if you realize that. You're going to spend multiple months trying to probably EDI, integrate to the local warehouse management mm -hmm. system. And then ultimately, you're going to have to go change your e-commerce order logic and how you route the inventory and, and all these other things that stack up to this, this very long period of time to actually impart a change. Um, and it starts with it takes a long time to see the change because of how siloed the data is. Then a long time to impart the change then you're stuck with that change for many years to come. Right. And so a lot of what we do here at Stored is because we're the data in the platform, we can give you those insights more real time. Uh, one of the most common things we do is network analysis. Hey, here's all your sales data and all your inventory data. So where should your warehouses optimally be placed? And that mm -hmm. can change depending on the seasons, quarters, your new product launches and more. And so because we're that data in that design, and we're the physical network as well. But again, it's asset light. We're not just saying you have to go lock into this one building we're going to open for you for many years to come. We're using existing 3PLs where stored maybe has many customers in that facility location. So if we're able to successfully balance our customers to where one of it may use it more flexibly or agilely, and another one may be a staple customer or displace it, we're able to better allocate that capacity and utilize it over many brands in, mm -hmm. in one of these warehouses but let the brand remain flexible so that you go launch a new warehouse and storage network. It's already integrated. It's already part of your order management logic. 
And if you want to go change it, you can move that inventory just as seamlessly all on the same platform. And so I think connecting your data and your design and the physical service execution is really one of the hardest parts of right. traditionally being flexible. So the last two years have, of course, been nothing except out of the ordinary for the entire world. And the last two years for you guys at Stored have you guys have seen some absolutely exponential growth is what I would call it. There's really no other word for it. Talk to me a little bit about the catalyst for that growth that you guys have seen. Is it the pandemic? Is it consumer buying behavior changing? Or is it just this now general understanding that logistics is complicated and you need help when it comes to actually solving for things that you're not prepared for? That's a really great question. I think that the core trends are there for a long period of time and we've been working on them. The core of you're going to compete on delivery speed. You're going to need better data about what's going on in your logistics to be flexible and optimized. And therefore, it has to be connected into your physical logistics. And so I think we were already pushing behind many of the trends, which is why when, when COVID happened, Stored is many times larger as a business now and has really seen this, this market opportunity for ourselves and for our customers and partners. But ultimately, what, what, what I think drove it is a mix of e-commerce. There was mm -hmm. a huge inflection in your online sales. And that's not just your own e-commerce store. It's incredibly complicated to deliver a robust omni-channel experience across your brick and mortar, your e-commerce store, and the many other marketplaces you may be selling inventory on. And do it quick when people's demands have changed like literally overnight. Exactly. And so to adapt to that quickly and get on all these new channels quickly, to move from your brick and mortar, more B2B distribution, to more e-commerce fulfillment, it's just very complex. And so we saw these brands quickly scrambling for immediate capacity when the pandemic started, but then mm -hmm. changing their overall strategies overall, both reallocating more to more marketplaces and other online channels than, than brick and mortar, but also just rebuilding their networks largely because they were likely displaced. Maybe capacity went down in markets they had and prices went up. And so they had to just rebuild, uh, largely speaking. And so I think uh, when, you, when you look at COVID and the disruption it caused on capacity, on labor and displacement in supply chains, then you look at the e-commerce inflection and how brands had to just change their overall strategies, but also remain flexible. I think those are ultimately all what drove it. But I think you hit on what we think is one of the most important last, which is just this idea of management. Today, a brand, particularly mid-sized brands, they're trying to manage this themselves. And for us, what that means as an end consumer is every website we go to has a different delivery speed, expectation, and trust, and quality. Right. And so when every brand is building it separately, that's always going to be the case. A lot of those brands are waking up to, why do I have to build this myself? The same as I used to run my own servers for my own data storage and computing. Now mm -hmm. I leverage AWS, Azure, another cloud platform for cloud computing. How can I give this to someone else who may be able to abstract me from the infrastructure, the complexity, the expertise, just do it better for me. And we're seeing a lot more of that uh, outsourcing and managed trend in our customer base. So if a brand or a retailer hasn't quite made that switch to outsourcing their management techniques, there's almost a hesitation to do so because it's kind of like people don't really know where the market's going to go. They don't know where consumer demand is going to go. But it's still, I think, pretty relevant to now take a push to the software as a service because you want to be prepared for the next time that stuff hits the fan, right? You, you can't make it happen in real time, so you might as well be prepared. So let's talk a little bit about a path of least resistance for retailers as they want to get into this idea of outsourcing their management strategies. What are, what are those barriers to entry or what can brands do to really leverage easier capabilities to get into something like this? Yeah, it's a really great question because if you look at broad logistics, all these companies are already running a network. And right. so you have to find a way to, to be very agnostic and come into that existing network and not disrupt it. 
when a mid-market or even an enterprise has tens or hundreds of millions of spend or even billions of spend in their overall logistics network. You can't just say, move it all over here and, and you'll do better if you outsource Change it. Up. it. <laughs> exactly. So you have to be very uh, agnostic or what you have to offer them is an easy land and expand. Here's a way to try, prove value and incrementally start to move this way in a, in, in a way that proves success along the way. And so Stored has always been very focused on, we, we have a broad array of products and services across our software and our logistics. Our logistics covers warehousing, fulfillment, freight, and last mile to really orchestrate that, that full port-to-porch -port movement. But for us, it all starts with almost the same wedge every time. And it's around our center of excellence, around that warehousing and fulfillment where we started. And so a brand is either going to work with Stored normally first by launching a new warehouse or fulfillment center and doing it agilely. They're going to find an existing market their, their warehousing is underperforming in, a market they just run a network analysis with us and seeing, oh, I actually have a hole here. And if I opened a new facility, I'd deliver faster. My transportation costs would be cheaper or something else. Or they want to get on a new channel or launch a new SKU. There's kind of an event. And it's always going to start with launching a facility. And once they realize, oh, I'm able to tap into a nationwide network or I have guaranteed SLAs across the whole network, I get instant pricing from stored, I can get one dashboard that I can integrate to once and talk to the same team every time. And that integration software and team all lasts for any locations I scale to. I'm going to try one warehouse and then I'm going to flex and scale to more and more and more after there. So that's the primary way. But I think that the one of the most interesting things we saw during the, the pandemic was brands trying to adopt faster. So we meet these mm -hmm. brands that say, well, that sounds great. I'd love to go launch an agile warehouse in my network with you, but I already have 20, 30, 50 that I can't successfully see and orchestrate today. So how am I supposed to know where to go launch that warehouse? Right. And so for a lot of these companies, we actually started software first now where we say, okay, onboard your existing 50 stocking points, whether that's a 3PL, a co-packing location, your own manufacturing location, almost anything with a WMS and with inventory. <laughs> we'll help you orchestrate the orders and inventory in the platform. And once you're there, then you'll see opportunities to, to expand using our physical to add a new warehouse because you have a hole in a certain market and you're overspending as a result or another action. And so we can either start very software first to just show and not disrupt and mm -hmm. show you what's going on in your existing network and help you orchestrate it better or that very incremental land and expand test facilities and, and see how it scales for, for your business. Which is so interesting that you guys provide not only the flexibility in the solution, but the flexibility in getting started too, because that can kind of hold a lot of people back, I think, is not quite being sure where to start. Yeah, exactly. I think we've focused on it since since day one is just how do you meet a brand and give them a way to, to say yes, mm -hmm. I think is important <laughs> as, a, as a startup. Because in supply chains as well, you can work with so many companies of so many sizes, and everyone's going to have unique challenges that you got to find those very central, this is almost always going to apply. And this is a way a brand can try us, test us and improve success. And so the same way our platform is very agnostic and modular. You can, you can add one warehouse or many. You can use our freight, our fulfillment, our last mile, all these other services how you want. You can also start with us how, how you want as a result. You don't have to move everything from, from day one. So let's go back a little bit more, back to the founder story of Stored and kind of when you guys decided to enter the marketplace because that's a really scary thing to do for a founder. You guys, as you mentioned, entered in 2015 where we're not anywhere near quite like the freight cycle that we've seen for the last two years. So you and your co-founder, Jacob Boudreau, you guys decided to enter the market with this idea back in 2015. No idea how it was going to take off. Talk to me a little bit about how scary it is just to do that and just to take the leap and jump into it. 
Yeah, well, we had a unique story and experience in many ways. So we, we started the business very young. Uh, I was in college at Georgia Tech at the time and we're Teal Fellows. So ended up leaving Georgia Tech to start the business fully. So it was about six years ago. Um, and there were a lot of, lot of nerves around the whole thing. Uh, because we were young founders, it took multiple years to kind of prove early traction and actually get revenue to raise any money. Whereas mm -hmm. in, in some cycles and, and where freight is very attractive right now across the board from an investment perspective, we're seeing rounds happen so much faster, right. so much sooner, the second you're launching even. And so we took those first year or two years just building, getting our first customers. And for us, what that was, um, was ultimately just start talking to people. Um, we were very lucky that uh, uh, our friends here locally in Chattanooga, Dynamo, were launching a program at the time, right when they were starting their venture fund. And we went to learn and went to learn a bit about going to market, about building a product and solution, and they became our, our first investors. But what we did from day one was, let's just go talk to people. We called, mm -hmm. almost locked ourselves in a room, and Jacob and I called <laughs> over 500 warehouses. And uh, we were very shocked at the time because we thought, we got to go convince all these facilities. Can we use their capacity? But this wasn't like Airbnb or Uber. You're not asking an individual to use an asset for something differently than they're using it for today. Right. This is 3PL's core business. So when you say, can I drive more revenue into your underutilized capacity, augment you with technology by giving you a better warehouse management system for free if you want it and managing the client on the other end. We said, yeah, please, where, where, where do I sign, <laughs> sign up? Sign me up. Exactly. And so I'm sure they thought we were spam calling them. <laughs> Did that happen? Um, and so it was, it was a really eye-opening experience. Then we just realized, okay, everything's going to be on, on the demand. We got to go start talking to the brands and the shippers now that we have a base of facilities we can coordinate their products across and just finding that beachhead, finding that initial go-to-market. So if we want to build an Amazon-level logistics network for brands of all sizes, you can't do that from day one from right. scratch, especially as, as young founders without capital. And so we started with, it's going to be the warehouses. That's where all your inventory is held. That's where we can drive the most impact, but also then expand to our full network over time. And so that's why we, we, we started there. But we also had to ask ourselves that question on the other side. When we're just getting started, we can't go to a Fortune 500 and say, we're going to orchestrate your e-commerce fulfillment better than you can. So who can we from, from day one? We started to go to a lot of importers and exporters and manufacturers who needed a lot of variable for stocking locations and, and, and inventory in many places and saying, hey, we have a lot of agile capacity and a more expansive network. And especially if you're an importer, exporter in a different market, we can do the management for you and we'll eventually build software to show you what's happening. So that's kind of how we, how we launched. And it took two or three years to raise our first few dollars. We took a, an angel investor, some angel investors, including Dynamo. Then uh, it was April of 2018 when we, we raised our $2 million seed round. And a few years later, we've now raised 200 plus million dollars, uh, have, have a few hundred employees and a few hundred customers. And it's been a, been a fun few years. Which has been incredible to watch you guys the last, like I said, two years of explosive growth. And so now as we're sitting in 2022 right now, we're in a market that is flush with venture capital. And the time is really pretty ripe for a lot of these people that are entering the market, regardless of their age. But specifically, I want to pick your brain a little bit for the young founder looking to enter the market right now. How would you give them advice or what kind of advice would you give them to kind of navigate the waters right now? Would it be a little bit of trepidation, like, like get your bright ideas out there, which there's a ton of bright ideas everywhere entering the freight space, but also be kind of cautious about how you're doing it in a market that is inflated and exciting, but we know can't last forever. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's a definitely a, a hard time to balance that decision because of all those moving factors. 
And for me, it, it always comes down to, to a few things. One, you really don't have to wait for permission. You can just get started. Entrepreneurship is just doing something yourself. And so there's no defining external factor that's going to say, yes, you should do this or no. It's really an individual uh, choice in, in a lot of ways to just get moving and get started on something. But the second is it's really all about traction and being really scrappy. And so the amount of founders that, that you meet early on that they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on some external development agency to go build a huge website, an app, or all their life savings, and then it never went anywhere mm -hmm. is very repetitive. Or you even do the same thing if you raise money from day one to go try to build something. And so I think a lot of the most uh, the, the, the most successful founders out there that I've met, um, they've all started just insanely scrappy. What can we do today to drive any traction, drive any customer, prove the interest, and fail fast? Before we go try to raise money, let's fail. If it's not going to work, let's, let's make sure it doesn't work and mm -hmm. move on to the next thing. And so I'd always encourage a founder, there's a lot you can do before you leave your current job, leave your current whatever situation that may be. And so when we were students, we got our first few customers while I was still at Georgia Tech and, and met multiple years before actually fully going going the route of just saying, this, this is all we're going to do. I can only focus on on one thing at once to do Doing it. homework and making best. cold calls. <laughs> exactly. And, and so I think uh, just really push the boundary on what's the smallest thing I can do to prove traction? How can I test the solution without building out the full service, full product from day one? And traction is going to be your absolute best friend when it comes to raising money, hiring employees, making more progress. Because if you do those things too early, and then you can't get the traction, it's just a much harder equation to solve later later down the line. So I wouldn't have too much market trepidation right now overall on, on that note, just because I think in the very early stages, that's where it's not going to be as as imp impacted for right. today. There's still so much material upside from your, your seed round and when you're just getting started. But it could be a hard path ahead as the markets uh, uh, could could get rocky in, in many senses. It can't stay the same way forever. But I think it's a great time to start a business. It's a great time to be in freight and logistics. And it's more about finding traction and finding something you can prove value to a customer than it is about raising money. So on that note, looking forward through the next year for Stored, what is your number one overarching goal for the company coming out of 2022 or even just looking forward through the next quarter? Yeah, so our main goal right now is market share and scale. Uh, we believe we have a logistics system in our, our fulfillment and distribution network that the more volume that's through it, the more self-reinforcing it is to every other customer. We can drive prices down, drive delivery speed up, and, right. and more. And so even at our size and scale today, relative to the, the massive market we're, we're in for our customers, we're still very small. And so we're very much focused on reaching scale, which is a lot of extending the logistics network into some new categories and new markets this year. Um, launching a lot of new software products for our customers, and especially in that standalone bucket of how quickly they can launch and get started with Stored. But ultimately, just hiring great team members, um, both, both leaders and individuals across the team. We're a rapidly growing team, and, and that's one of the most fun parts of, of scaling a business as a, as a founder. So it's our retail day, and I've got to ask you, the last two years through the e-commerce explosion, what has been your favorite or most necessary retail purchase that you've made? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I think my, let's see, my most favorite has got to be my standing desk mm. at home because also working, really necessary, really necessary. Working from home, absolutely, absolutely required. Um, after that, I don't think I could have lived without a uh, Instacart and Uber Eats these mm. last two years, which are only self-reinforcing the uh, we have to get everything very fast and the right. trend all of us are, are living on. But those are definitely some of the biggest where we're extremely heads down, working really hard and. Uh, uh, need as much time in front of the, the screen as possible to, to, to scale the team, scale the network and more. 
Sean, thank you so much for taking the trip up to Chattanooga to join us for Global Supply Chain Week. Stored, if people want to get in touch with you guys, where should they go to do that? Yeah, so the best place to find us is stored.com, S-T-O-R-D.com, or you can reach out to me, Sean Henry, and that's Sean at stored.com. But we'd love to hear from you, whether you're a retailer, brand, potential logistics partner, or even potential team member. Um, it'd be great. So great to have you. Thank you again. And tell Jacob, thank you also, because obviously he's part of this too, just back down in Atlanta with you guys. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, of course. That does it for our keynote this morning. We're going to toss it back to the desk right now. There's a ton more content coming up for our second day of Global Supply Chain Week here at FreightWaves. If you're not active in that live chat right now, make sure that you are doing that. And if you're not registered on live.freightwaves.com, go there as well because we are giving out daily door prizes and we've got a grand prize to give away at the end of this week as well. Tons of more great content to come. Don't go away.